the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the new week. Who knew that March could be so cold? I hope that you guys are staying warm. And if you're driving in your car, you're staying safe. It's a good time to sort of turn the heater up and listen to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to the Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, uh, counseling issues, pretty much anything that's on your heart or mind. I will do the best that we possibly can to answer those questions. All you have to do is call us. You can do that by dialing 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 630, or I'm sorry, 877-630-5757, 630-KSLR. You can email questions to us by emailing Questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send your questions in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585 is our main number. Hey, because it's Monday, we got lots of stuff going on. Tonight will be our men's and women's Bible studies at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch online at calvaryessay.com. Um, Pastor Ken's wife, May Cruzado, will be teaching the ladies. And, of course, Pastor Ken teaches the men. We also have junior high school and high school Bible studies uh, on Monday nights. So you can bring the whole family if you have children that aren't quite yet in junior we have child care available where they're going to hear about Jesus as well. So all of that is at 7 o'clock tonight here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, it's also, I'm going to be asking you to pray every day this week for the ladies retreat coming up. It's retreat week. And I know lots of people are busy and getting ready and everything together. Uh, the most important thing, I told the church yesterday here that this is their date weekend with Jesus. The one time a year where they get away from the kids, they get away from the husbands, they get away from if they're not married and don't have kids, they get away from all of the, the trappings of everyday life. It's, it's a moment where you step outside of what is normal. And Jesus always meets you there. So we'd love to have you attend. We still have some spots. I think we've got about 30 spots left. Um, um, so if you want to go, you're sure able to do so. Uh, you can go to the website, calvarysa.com, and register. Or you can just stop by here at church or call the church office at 658-8337. So all of that's going on. The rest that I have to talk about, just stay warm. So... Um, we don't freeze to death. Here's our first question of the day, of the week, for, from uh, Kirby, uh, from our email inbox. 
Uh, would you please explain First Peter three nineteen and 20? Let me read it, and then I'll explain it. It says, After being made alive, he, Jesus, went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Now, does he mean in verse 20 that all the people who were in Abraham's bosom were disobedient? Am I understanding this correctly? Um, Kirby, no, not, not all of the people. Uh, were disobedient. Now, I think to, to really understand this, you've got to put several portions of Scripture together, including Ephesians chapter 4. Um, but but here's, here's the way we understand Abraham's bosom is by going to Luke chapter 16, where Jesus tells the story. By the way, this is a passage of Scripture that I always use at funerals uh, for people who are unbelievers or um, people that were not sure if they were saved or not. Um, Luke chapter 16, Jesus talks about two men who died on the same day. Uh, a rich man uh, who had everything this life had to offer, and Lazarus, a poor beggar, who had none of the things of this world. And uh, on the day that they gave account for their souls, the rich men went to a place of torment, uh, and the uh, poor man... Uh, who was a man that Jesus was was indicating was a fearer, a, a God-fearer. Uh, he went to uh, the place called Abraham's bosom or paradise. You'll also remember the thief on the cross who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom today. Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. So, Kirby, there's two compartments in... Um, the center of the earth, Hades, whatever you want to call it, it's not important. It's not hell because hell, the the, the lake of fire, has not been created yet. Um, but it's a place of torment for the rejectors of Christ. It is a place of comfort uh, and paradise for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And it's a very vivid picture. Now, this is a story. It's not a parable. So Jesus is telling us this is the truth about what happens when we die. Now, before Jesus died and was risen from the dead, we can go all the way into the Old Testament saints who believed in Jesus Christ uh, before he came. They believed God and it was credited to them as righteousness. That's what Abraham's relationship with God is described as. Um, they went to this place called paradise. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, in that time between his death and his resurrection from the dead, he went down into the lower parts of the earth and he proclaimed victory. And Ephesians says that he took captivity captive. What that means is he took those who were held captive in paradise, in the good place, Abraham's bosom, and he took them with him to heaven as a result of his death for their sins, now they're innocent, they're declared righteous, and now they're free. Even though paradise was a great place, it's nothing compared to heaven. So Jesus set them free. He proclaimed victory. He preached a victory sermon to those spirits who were disobedient. In other words, basically he would have said, you had a chance, every one of you are without excuse, you refuse to believe, so now you're stuck here in torment while I'm taking these others to glory. So that's what it means. So most of the people in Abraham or in the center of the earth, the abyss, it's called the Greek word is abuso. Um, most of them were disobedient, but those who were obedient, those who believed, well, they were in a place that was paradise. Thank you, Kirby. Good question. Here is a question from Richard. He said, Pastor Ron, how long do you think a sermon should be? <laughs> I'm going to laugh because I can't figure that out. Uh, and then he asks, is there a formula that will help me make sure I'm teaching what God wants me to teach? Um, Richard, I struggle with sermon length. Uh, we're on a very, very tight timetable here at Gower Chapel. We have three morning services uh, here on Sunday. Um, and um, we've got to get kids out of child care and we've got a small foyer so uh, honestly if you went to um, um, you came to our foyer between services it, it's like being in the airport 
um, when you're traveling home from Christmas. I mean, it's just crazy, crazy crowded. So we have to have a minimum of 20, and actually we would like 30 minutes between services, and that's really hard to do. Yesterday, for example, um, we also had communions for Sunday of the month. So what I try to do is keep my Sunday messages to 40 minutes. On Sundays, I'm getting pretty good at keeping them at 40 minutes, but sometimes it's just a little bit more difficult. I honestly think 40 minutes is plenty of time. Uh, I used to teach much longer when we had one service and then when we had two services, and people would sit and listen. But but honestly, shortening my messages has caused me to, to be more selective about what I'm going to teach and what I'm going to say. It's caused me to be uh, more prayerful and seeking what the Lord um, w- would have me say and things that don't need to be said. So uh, I think 40 minutes is plenty of time. Personally, I would be super uncomfortable doing any less than that. Um, but I know some guys that are masters of doing 30 minutes um, uh, sermons and, and they're doing a really, really good job. So uh, I think it, it's that my producer is telling me yesterday I preached for 43 minutes um, and my past month average is 54 minutes. Well, but that's Wednesdays and Fridays too. So uh, on Wednesdays and Fridays when we have only one service and we have more time, I usually take a little bit more time. But I don't think it's necessary, Richard, to go any longer than that. Two things that you need to remember. When people start squirming because they have to go to the bathroom, you've talked too long. Um, The other thing is, uh, the point of a message isn't to give people everything that we know. We do the study. We're prepared to do the sermon. I honestly could make every message an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes without even thinking about it. But I want to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. I want to leave time in the message for some uh, improvisation. And by that, I mean, as I'm teaching, um, um, Richard, the Spirit of God is speaking to me. There's different people in every service. Now, Paula and, and a couple of others who come to every service will tell you that, that I'll have the same passage, the same notes, but all three services on Sunday are different. They, they tell the same story. They're going to make the same essential points. However... I believe that because there are different people in, and God is trying to meet those different people, uh, I believe God is going to give me words of wisdom, words of knowledge. He's going to give me directions about where to go. Uh, I'll give you an example. Yesterday we had a young man in our church um, who is an unbeliever, um, and uh, uh, the service he was at was quite different from the service before the service after. And the result is God spoke to his heart and he gave his life to Jesus yesterday. Uh, There are people who are going through really hard things and there are times God wants to meet them and let them know they're going to be okay. Trust in him. So I can do that in 40 minutes, but but that's just a general rule, Richard. Um, Is there a formula that will help you be sure you're teaching what God wants me to? I think if you put the word in, God will bring it out. Uh, there's all kinds of different styles. I think one of the best preachers I've ever known, he's a dear, dear friend of mine, um, uh, and he does multiple services, two services on Sundays. Um, um, he reads his messages, writes them out longhand, and he reads them, and every message is the same. When he did three services here for us, he was uh, um, doing a, um, a men's retreat. And we had him stay over and do the Sunday Sunday message. Um, he actually said something in the third service that wasn't in his notes, and that's very unusual for him. And you know what? You listen to him, and you know he's reading it, but you can never tell. It's not distracting at all. And this guy's absolutely brilliant. He is a gifted, gifted communicator. And I asked him, why does he do it that way? And he said, you know, I used to think when I do multiple services, the second one is always better than the first one. So I thought, well, why not just do it over and over and over in preparation and then give first service the best as well? So for him, that works. Uh, For me, I just want to know what it says. Um, One of the things, Richard, that's happened with me is my vision has has disappeared. 
I write my notes out. Uh, by the way, anybody's interested, my notes are available. My study notes are available online at calvarysa.com. Um, virtually, I have a commentary for nearly the whole Bible. Um, but I can't see them when I'm in the pulpit. So writing them out, I sort of get them in my brain. I have a pretty good memory, and and um, and it helps me remember. But the 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 older I get and the the less I'm able to see, um, I'm giving God a chance to give me um, some direction and redirection during the course of the study. And I think that's really, really important. Um, You have to find out what works for you, Richard. Um, What we do as Bible teachers is an honor and a privilege. And um, find out what works for you and don't worry um, about what so much about what other people do, uh, I think Paula would tell you that that uh, my style of teaching and I, I use style loosely, but but uh, my method of teaching uh, and even my method of study has changed. I don't know five or six times in the nearly twenty four years that we've been here. Uh, it's just um, we're all works in progress. So I hope that makes sense to you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Robert, who wants me to explain First Timothy chapter four, verse ten. Let me do that. Let me get to it. Uh, first of all, uh, let me let me go back to verse nine to give the context of these of this verse, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, "This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God." who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Now, I like this title, the Savior of all men, but it does not imply that all men are going to be saved. It means that his death is efficacious. It's sufficient for all men. It means that everybody can believe if they will believe, but it doesn't mean that everybody is going to believe, nor does it mean that, that everybody's going to go to heaven. Uh, Jesus' death is for everybody, but it's effective only and especially for those who believe. Now, in our church culture, there is a large group of Christians. We get questions on Calvinism and Reformed theology all the time on this program. And they're a sizable group of Christians, and they really are believers. And they believe that Jesus did not die for everybody. Even though the Bible says he died for the whole world, there are some who say, no, Jesus died only for the elect. Um, This is a doctrine called limited atonement in the Calvinist perspective. I believe it is a pernicious doctrine, and I think it's directly refuted in 1 Timothy 4, chapter 10. I'd also say to you, don't get caught up in foolish arguments that contradict what is absolutely clear in in the teaching of your Bible. Um, God is a Savior for all men. When he says, especially for those who are saved or those who will believe, it just means that his death, burial, and resurrection only has value for those who believe. So I think that is a clear repudiation of Calvinism and the doctrine of limited atonement. Jesus died for the whole world, and we should never, ever forget that. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate the question. Uh, Here is a question. I'm not sure I understand. It's anonymous. Uh, What's the best way for Christians to deal with abusive pastors? I've been reading blogs that want Christians to protest. Um... Anonymous, I would need you to be more specific on what you mean by abusive pastors. If you mean they're uh, mean or not nice, the thing to deal with them is just to change churches. Why would anybody want to sit under a church um, or a pastor who's going to be abusive toward them spiritually? Now, uh, spiritual abuse and pastoral abuse does happen. Um, I had a couple of questions in our program last week from people who are, who are asking about churches that are sort of falling apart because pastors have been abusive and they're finally being called to account for that abuse. The way you deal with it is to go somewhere else. 
uh, the blogs. Um, I'm not a blog fan at all, Anonymous. Um, you know, spend all that time um, trying to care for people or direct people who claim that they've been abused by pastors. Sometimes it means they just didn't get away. Sometimes it means that the pastors are, are almost dictatorial. Well, anywhere along that that example, either of those examples, uh, all we need to do is do what makes sense. Do the logical thing and find a church where you're not under an abusive pastor. You know, we, we get hurt. Our feelings get hurt so easily these days. Um, we know there's wolves in sheep's clothing. The Bible warns us of that. So what we need to do is protect ourselves. Let the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. Now, I know that people don't like to leave churches. Now, we've, we've got people in our church, as our church has grown over the years. I mean, literally, we have people who've been here from the very beginning. And this is like family, so nobody wants to leave the church. But you've got to protect your walk with Jesus. When, when, when I believe Paul writes to the Hebrews, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, I think sometimes the churches that we're in are some of those things that hinder our walk with Jesus. If you're not being fed, remember, you don't go to church to, to form friendships, although you will do that. That's not your purpose. Um, find a church where you're being fed. Find a church where you can be loved and have the opportunity to love others. Find a church where you can use the gifts God has given you to serve. Be willing to start small and grow with the church. But if a church isn't feeding you, don't just stay because, well, my friends are here. This is my family's church. Be grown up enough. Be adult enough, spiritually speaking, to leave. But... But Anonymous, if, if I can, I wish I could insist I can. I have no position of authority in people's lives. But don't give bloggers an audience. Take the time you'd spend reading blogs or being online, being involved with social media. And spend that time in your Bible. Spend that time with Jesus. And you'll be way, way ahead. Um, if you have a problem with the pastor or anybody else in the church, the way to handle it is to go to them face to face and just honestly deal with the issue. If you don't get a result that is satisfying, then find another church. I think that's the best way to do it. We're under four minutes here. We'd love some live phone calls at 340-9585. Uh, here is a question from Lawrence. Uh, why do some Christians believe the communion elements actually become Jesus' body and blood? Lawrence, good timing on your question. Yesterday was uh, Communion Sunday here for us at Calvary Chapel. And um, I always address that when I hold up the bread or hold up the cup. Um, when Jesus said, take and eat, this is my body, I have a, a Lutheran friend who's always saying, well, you always say to believe the Bible literally, and Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Um, but clearly Jesus was speaking figuratively. We're told uh, by the Apostle Paul, whenever we do this, take communion, we do it remembering his death until he returns. So it's clearly memorial in essence, Jesus was speaking symbolically. He was still in his body. He couldn't be in his body and break the bread and say, this bread is my body. It couldn't have been at the same time both things. So why do we believe it? We believe it because of tradition. Um, you know, if you've been raised in one church and you've gone there your whole life and that's what they've taught, you don't want to believe that you were taught wrong. Uh, I, I don't think it makes that big a difference in the sense of the value of communion. Um, but Lawrence, clearly, um, the, the the bread or cracker we, we use here, 
uh, and the cup of juice, as a symbol of the wine that Jesus drank, um, they are only symbols, uh, and nothing magically happens to them um, to turn them into a different substance. Uh, I think I think maybe just tradition and sort of the goosebump factor, you know, of well, I'm I'm taking Jesus's actual body and actual blood, um, and you're not. Uh, if you need to think that in order to understand the value of communion, uh, it would appear to me, Lawrence, that those Christians really don't have a, a a biblical understanding of what Jesus's sacrifice was all about. You know, if we can't walk with Jesus during the day as he is, um, where there's just nothing more important than being with Jesus, if we can't do that, then believing or pretending that that bread or that cup is actually his body or blood uh, isn't going to help. So, Lawrence, uh, I don't know. I always explain the difference. I realize that we've always got people coming in from different church traditions. Um, many times I'm communing somebody, someone will come up and say, why don't you do it every Sunday? Um, the answer is this is the way the Lord is leading us to do it. I don't want it to be something that we do so often that people just do it by going through the motions, taking for granted what a gift it is. We've got 30 minutes left on this cold Monday, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'd love your live calls and questions. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the show 340-9585 we'd love your live calls you're more interesting than i am so uh, lawrence one more thing on, on on this whole concept of communion that i'd like to just remind everybody about um, when I first got saved and Paul and I would go to different churches, we didn't know what to do. So we'd go to a morning service, go to an afternoon service, go to evening service. We just wanted to be where the Bible was being taught. And uh, when we would go into a church, and, and this was even before I recognized any pattern, first Sunday, or it didn't, I just didn't know. But we'd walk in, and if we saw the communion elements set out, it brought us both to tears. We were so excited, and we understood what communion was all about, but we were so excited that we got to remember what Jesus did for us, that it brought us to tears, tears of joy. And that's how special communion is and ought always to be for believers. It is holy ground. I can almost... On Communion Sunday, almost hear the Lord saying, take off the sandals you're wearing for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. You know, it's a, it's sort of a different dynamic now for me as a pastor because I do it three times. And honestly, oops, I'm sorry, bumped into my mic. Uh, honestly, I, I can't take the cracker um, until the, the last service as I'm going off the stage because I still got some uh, prayer and some other things to do, and I can't talk if I've got this dry cracker in my mouth. So um, uh, I feel like I'm missing out the, the first two services, especially. Um, but but communion is so special; it's literally spiritual intercourse with Jesus. It's oneness. A Greek word is koinonia, and it's such an intimate word. So next time you walk into church and you see the communion elements. Um, begin thanking God for the gift of life that he's given. Here is an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, if God plans how we're going to serve, will he just make us do it so we don't miss out? You know, anonymous, the answer to your question is no, but uh, what God does with each of us as believers is that he partners with us. He gives us the talent that we need to serve, I know a lot of people say, well, I'm not qualified. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. 
and he gives us gifts and then he provides opportunities but we have to partner with him in doing it this whole idea about how to serve or where to begin has always sort of confused me um, people say well well, just tell me where to serve I, I don't need to tell you where to serve uh, the, the announcer told you 10 places you could serve in the message today or before the message started uh, this ministry needs help. This ministry needs help. This ministry has opportunities to serve. Yesterday, I think he spoke about four different ministries, uh, everything from our sound ministry to our video ministry to the radio ministry uh, to telephone ministries on Saturday mornings, cleaning ministry, kids ministry. So if you're going to partner with God, when there is an opportunity to serve, serve. Don't wait for one thing, just serve. These are all tests of our heart. And here's what happens, and this is what I love about how God works. When we're serving God, especially doing something that the world, or even that we might consider menial service, and there's no menial service for Jesus, but if it's the cleaning ministry, or or you're just taking out trash, whatever you're doing, whatever the need is, it's in the process of being faithful in that ministry, Anonymous, where Jesus will begin speaking to your heart about the direction that your ministry is going to take. But if you won't be faithful in little things, in what we call menial things, then God's not going to promote you to bigger things. So use the gift to serve, to serve wherever the need is. I tell our church all the time, that, that we don't need volunteers, we need servants. Now, praise God, we've always had more people to serve than we needed. Always. It's just been that way. You know, our, our church is transient at times because of the large military population and people get transferred out. So there are times when we'll lose a whole bunch of people about the same time. And we've always had people to step up. But the people who served faithfully while they were here, well, then God gives them new direction. And when they go to their next church, believe me, they are a blessing. So God wants you to partner with them. And you don't sit around and just wait for God to make you do something uh, because that will cause you to miss out on something. So, yeah, God gives us gifts. He knows what we're called to do. Uh, But getting there is a constant series of tests a test of our heart. And uh, when we pass those tests, Jesus smiles. Here is a question from Abraham. He says, what's the value of churches without a pastor who watch a message given on a video screen? Uh, Abraham, if I understand your question correctly, I think you're talking about satellite churches. Uh, It's sort of a, a new um, phenomenon in the church world. It's uh, certainly not something um, that that I endorse. Uh, I think every Christian needs a pastor. I don't think it's possible to pastor people uh, if your relationship with them is on a screen. Uh, it is my opinion that um, um, a lot of times those satellite churches are monuments to the ego of men. Uh, and pastor, being a pastor, is much more than just being a Bible teacher. Um, so I'm not a fan. Um, I, I The best part about what I do is the people I get to do it for and with. And um, if um, there's 300 people sitting in a in a satellite location watching me on a screen, I just think that's weird. I think that's weird. I can't imagine my mug being on a big screen and somebody being able to understand the love and the compassion and the passion that goes into the messages. I think we've the, the more we do to sterilize the relationship between pastor and churchgoer, I think we do that to our detriment rather than to our benefit. Um, so, Abram, I don't think there's a lot of value. I, I find that people that go to satellite churches... Uh, often don't serve. They don't like being under authority, and uh, learning to be under authority is is a requirement for everybody in the Church of Jesus Christ. And the way we do that is to we we learn Jesus can never give authority to someone who won't be under authority. And uh, honestly, there's no authority uh, for a man who is on a big video screen. By the way, 
um, a lot of the churches where pastors are being accused of these things and falling um, away, um, churches in Chicago, uh, huge, huge mega churches that we talked about um, last week in the program in response to a couple of questions. Um, they have satellite campuses, all of them, and um, you know, I just, I just think a, a, a preacher's ego gets in the way sometimes. So I hope that uh, answers your question. Um, sort of related, Jackson wants to ask: Do you think a church can be too big, or is a big church a sign that God is blessing it? Um, I'm not qualified, Jackson, to, to answer that. I have one church; I've been at the same place my entire Christian walk. Um, I used to think that uh, I needed to have a big church, but but God had a lot of issues to deal with with my own ego. Um, but I see at times, and I'm going to be general here, I see at times churches get really, really big and people get lost. Now, I think some of the times people want to be lost. It's easy to walk in, sit at the back of a, of a church with 2,000 people at a service or more, and sort of uh, get up and walk out when it's over and never really engage with the body. Churches are built for fellowship. Church is family. And uh, sometimes you can lose that family feel if a church is absolutely... You, you don't have to, but you can, and, and often that family feeling is lost. Um, I, I, I know huge churches, Jackson, that are not being blessed by God, but in fact are being blessed by the devil. They got huge by compromising the word. I think it's really important for us to understand that, that it's easy to have a big church. It really is easy to have a big church. All you got to do is tell people what they want to hear, what makes them feel good. And by the way, they'll put a lot of money in the offering box to do it. Um, but But I prefer a church that is... Um, let me tell you my perfect scenario. I'd like to know everybody in my church personally. Uh, obviously, our church is too big for that, but we do the best we can. The Lord, I used to think of our little tacky building as a as a curse. You know, we got to get a bigger building. We got to get a builder, bigger building, one that looks like a church. Um, but I can promise you that one of the real benefits of being in this small facility um, that's tacky is is um, boy this church is a family of people and when you come in here the first time or the hundredth time you're going to be loved on by people in this body if you will allow them to come up to you you will be loved on by people in this body and and our church even as it's grown still has the small church feel and and Jackson I like that so I think it's a matter of personal taste uh, and or a function of of what you're looking for in a church or or, or what you can help a church with. Um, but it's a hard question because there's no one answer. Sometimes churches get big because God trusts them with the people who are lost, hurting, hungry, broken, needy, and confused. And I've always wanted to be that church. Um, uh, we have been blessed here, uh, Jackson, uh, at our church because we've had a lot of people come to us um, not knowing that they were going to be diagnosed with a, a, a deadly disease, uh, often fatal, uh, not knowing that they were going to go through really, really difficult things. And and I always imagine that, that God says, um, because he knows what's going to happen in our futures, I always imagine God says, I can trust Calvary Chapel of San Antonio with these people who are going to go through something horrific. And I, I always want to be that church. But beyond that, it's sort of what works for you. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Uh, Renata, I hope I'm saying that right, um, says, when Jesus appeared in the Old Testament, was it really him or was it his angel? Um, uh, Renata, the, your confusion is because when Jesus appears in the Old Testament, he appears as not an angel of the Lord, but the, 
definite article, the angel of the Lord. So Jesus doesn't have an angel. Jesus commands the angels. But when Jesus appeared in the Old Testament, it really was him in pre-incarnate form, pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Uh, We know it was Jesus because he allows himself to be worshipped. Abraham worshipped him by offering a tenth of what he had to him. Others worshipped him by falling down uh, before him. Um, when other angels um, encounter people falling down before him, they say, no, no, I'm but a servant of God just like you. Don't worship me. Um, but but when offerings or sacrifices were offered, it was because it was Jesus himself. Uh, there is a great book uh, that talks about uh, the pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. I think the name, in fact, I know it is. It's Christ Before the Manger. And its author is a man named Ron Rhodes, R-H-O-D-E-S. And it really is a helpful book, Renata, to explain these things. And there's a lot of appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. But he doesn't have an angel. He commands angels. And the difference is enormous. Good question. I appreciate that. Here is a question from Jamie. And this is spelled like it is a female Jamie, so I'll go with that assumption. Uh, Pastor Ron, how do you reconcile free will and God's sovereignty? Also, how do you reconcile predestination and free will? Uh, Jamie, I don't. Um, The doctrine of election or predestination is clearly biblical. Um, But so too is the doctrine of free will. We have to choose who we're going to serve. Over and over and over, throughout the Bible, Old Testament through the New Testament, people are given the opportunity to choose. That doesn't negate God's sovereignty at all, but we have to exercise our free will. Now, God knows what choice we're going to make, but he doesn't cause the choice that we're going to make. So we have the free will. And, and I think uh, God's sovereignty and man's free will is a perfect balance. It, it demonstrates not only the character and the, the love of God, the balance of God, but it also demonstrates uh, the fairness of God. Imagine if, if we were forced to believe in Jesus. I love you, Jesus. It wouldn't be love if I had to say it like that. But here's the truth. The Bible teaches that I'm chosen by God from before the foundations of the earth had been laid. Now that doesn't mean I didn't have a choice. I rebelled against God for 39 years, almost 40. But I was chosen. Why? Because God knew what choice I was going to make. Romans 8.29 and First Peter 1, 1 and 2. There's such great passages of assurance. God knew I was going to choose him, so that meant God set his love on me in eternity past. And no jerk thing I did, no horrible way I behaved, changed God's mind. It was as though God said, nope, the more you rebel, the more I'm going to love you, the more I'm going to chase you. And he chased me until that moment of on my own free will, I chose him. Now people always say, well, what if you hadn't chosen? Well, then I wouldn't be his. But he knew I would. He knew the day. I didn't know the day. I didn't know I would. But there came a point where my free will met with God's sovereignty, and the result has been a wonderful life with Jesus day after day. Predestination, that doctrine... Uh, the answer is the same. Um, chosen by God, but endured your own free will. We have to do both of those things. So, Jamie, I hope that helps you. Let's go to Kenny on line one from San Antonio. Kenny, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thank you, Pastor. I just um, want to ask you a, qu- a quick question. This was uh, around seven months ago at uh, work, and it was, I did it, I did it, uh, not 
oh, I, I did it out of love. I picked up this man. And uh, a week later, I had uh, uh, major back problems. So I had to resign from my job. And people were telling me, you need to you need to sue the man. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that, God. You know, so to make a long story short, the doctor said, we're not going to cut on you. You're going to heal. So I'm, I'm doing a much better. And Good. so um, my question is now, you know, uh, I've. I've been out of work, and I know this is, I really believe it's God's love. I'm not hearing anything, and I've been praying and praying, and I'm not in sin. I've been obedient, and I, and these a lot of these doors have been closing, which I think is a blessing, but I'm still just crying out to the Lord, and I'm not hearing anything. So I, I think that's a good sign, but... I just and I'll get off the radio and uh, have you answer that, Kenny. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, uh huh. God bless. And 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 you God know when you. when you, you. When, when you help the people, I talked about this in my message yesterday. God, He's always had a heart for the poor, the disenfranchised, those who really needed help, and we have to have that heart. And when you stopped and helped somebody, um, um, in their time of need, um. You're like the Samaritan in the parable of the of the Good Samaritan. And God honors that and he's pleased by that. Kenny, it sounds to me, and because I don't know you, I, I, I can't speak with with absolute assurance here. But but it sounds to me like God is preparing you for something uh, that began those seven or eight months ago when you when you when you helped this man and, and caused the injury. Uh, I have found in my life, and none of us like this, but I've found that in my time with Jesus, it's in those times where he doesn't seem to be speaking to my heart or answering my questions. It's in those times, looking back, that I now realize he was doing the greatest work in me. He's testing my faith. It's easy to follow Jesus with goosebumps. It's easy when Jesus gives you uh, direction and do this and then do this and then do this. Uh, It's great, and we love that because it's easy. But every single Bible hero that you go through, read Hebrews chapter 11 and then go read the Old Testament stories about those guys. There were prolonged and profound periods of silence, Kenny, in the relationship with God. You know, we, we read, for example, the Apostle Paul, and, and Jesus spent three years with him. It wouldn't have been three years steadily, but for three years he would appear to him and teach him. There would be a long time between visits. Uh, as Paul was walking from one city to another or on horseback going from one city to another, um, there would be times when when Paul was the one doing all the talking. His prayer lists were impressive. And, and, and God toughens us up. God wants to test us to see whether we'll walk with him in the silence as we did when he was a chatterbox. And what we do is we simply rest in the nature and the character of God, that he's the one who's got you. He's the one who's ordering your steps. And unless we know that when we don't hear him, we won't trust it when we do. So, Kenny, I would get ready. I think when you probably least expect it, um, God will be very clear about the next step. He probably won't tell you the step beyond that, but the next step, and then you just obey, and you serve the Lord faithfully. And when you do that, you'll be free. He'll take your hand and take you to the place after that. And that's really, we try to make walking with Jesus too spiritual. Um, you know, unless we have goosebumps, unless we're hearing magnificent things. Paula, just last week, uh, out of blue, and she doesn't normally ask things like this, but just last week she said, so has God been saying anything to you? And And I thought for a moment, like, well, that's a strange question, but why would you ask that? And um, my answer was, well, nothing new. Nothing new. And, um, Kenny, those are the times when our resolve is being tested and God will honor those who stay the course. So you keep crying out to God, keep serving the Lord. Uh, I don't know why somebody would tell you to sue somebody that you were trying to help, but 
but but you demonstrate that you trust Jesus and he will be there at exactly the right time. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate the call, Kenny. Let's go to Jimmy from San Antonio Online too. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Um, Matthew 19, verses uh, 4 to 6, it says that Jesus says, Don't you know I'm the creator? You know, I created man and woman to be together. Something like that. I'll turn anyway, to it. Matthew, um, tell me Matthew 4, you said? Yeah, Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6. No. 19. Okay. It says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. What's your question about that, Jimmy? Okay. I share this with my, my son and his girlfriend who still want to live together and I said look y'all been living together for three years and y'all need to get married end of story and you know well we can't get married I said well, why not and I said you know they were just giving me some excuses over and over and I told her, <clears throat> I told her and I said I shared with her okay you have two sisters who are who are, who are married to get who are married to one another and and I'm just telling you, notice where it says the word of God. It says man and woman. I'm not trying to persecute you. I'm telling you this because I want you to be saved. Jimmy, I'm, I'm told we're running out of time here. So, um, yeah. uh, you know, I think the, the difference here is that um, the, 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 the man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife is because God did it. When people are just shacking up, living together, that's what they did. And typically in our culture, when we're talking to unbelievers, they're not going to hear the Lord. So you just pray for them and you keep walking with Jesus and keep telling them the right thing to do. Um, hope that helps, Jimmy. Thank you. Hey, we're not going to get off quick now. Thanks for tuning in today. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word at 4 o'clock. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.